Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We have been in what book? Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. It's fun to say, isn't it? Thessalonians. The, uh, the town of Thessalonia is now Thessaloniki. That's even more fun to say, Thessaloniki. <laughs> and it's still there. It's over in Turkey. But as you remember, Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians right after his, uh, his journey to them. He was in Corinth at the time, and he wanted to encourage them. He had only been there a few, for a few weeks, but he wanted to encourage them, wanted to encourage them and try to strengthen their faith. So he wrote the letter to them. And what was interesting is we call these, these, these uh, sermon series, both First uh, Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, we call it deliverance. And the reason is, is because we'll see that often Paul talks about how the Lord delivers us, particularly when it comes to the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And both First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians actually has a lot of prophecy in it. And as a result, we're always going to be taking a look at prophecy. And just like the Thessalonians, wouldn't you know it, some of us are going to be a little confused. <laughs> That's why Paul wrote his second letter. He wrote his first letter to give them clarity, but sometimes you try, but actually all it brought was a little bit of confusion to them. They had thought that the day of the Lord had already arrived, and he had to write this second letter in order to encourage them. Now, the thing is, is that when you read prophecy and you start thinking about the day of the Lord. Or maybe you look out, you hear a, a, a report about um, accidents or hurricanes or earthquakes or natural disasters, and your mind automatically goes to some of the things that Jesus said would precede his coming. And it's, sometimes you get a little bit anxious for that. But, but remember the words of Jesus. Jesus said, and he was talking about the last days and talking about the things that just preceded it. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. That's Luke chapter, Luke, uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 28. It's a good remi reminder for us today. As I said, every time that I find I end up preaching on uh, or teaching on, on prophecy, there's always a few people that I can tell are getting a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous, because we haven't, you know, we, we, we know in part, right? That's what the Bible says. We know in part. There'll be a time when we know it fully, but right now we, we know in part. Now, uh, today's message, uh, we're going to be in second, uh, we're going to be in second Thessalonians chapter two. We're only going to do four verses, verses one through four, just four verses. It's still going to take us the full half hour or so. And then the topic today or the title of my message is called the falling away, the falling away. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to second Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to be reading the first four verses. And Paul says this, he says, now brethren, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had already come. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits it as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, these, these first four verses, Paul continues to address, again, this confusion that the Thessalonians had about 
the end times, what we call the second coming of Jesus Christ or the day of the Lord. In these verses, by the way, it's called the day of Christ, but it's the same thing, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ. Paul's purpose in this letter, and particularly these four verses today, is to show the believers that two things were necessary before that day fully came. And the first was the falling away, and we're going to talk about that today, and also the, um, the, uh, the man of sin is revealed, also called the man of lawlessness, also called the Antichrist. You know, over the years, I've had some wonderful opportunities to travel. Do you like to travel? I, I love traveling, and unfortunately, there was about a period of four or five years that I traveled a little bit too much. I was assigned by Ford Motor Company out of London, and I had Europe. I had the responsibilities for a lot of things going on in Europe. So I traveled to a lot of the major cities. I traveled to Rome and to Brussels and to Cologne and to Paris. And all. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Sounds kind of romantic. Well, I was all by myself. I wasn't with my wife. So I'm kind of an amateur historian, especially when it comes to the church. I love the history of the church. So I made it a point wherever I went to go and visit some of the old cathedrals, these, these wonderful, beautiful Gothic cathedrals. It's, a, it's just amazing that back in the 6th, 7th, and 8th century when they started building these things, they were actually able to, to build a building that large that's still standing to this day. If you go to a Milan, Italy, go to Milan, Italy, you can visit the Duomo di Milano. How's my Italian? Duomo di Milano. It's a cathedral that sits on the same location as two previous churches, one that went all the way back to 353 AD, the second one to 836. The construction on the cathedral began in the 14th century, and Leonardo da Vinci, of all people, submitted a design for it. It wasn't accepted, by the way. The Duomo di Milano is one of the world's largest churches. It has seating for nearly 40,000 people. For nearly 500 years, the bells would ring and people from all over Milan would come and stream into this beautiful cathedral, this basilica, and be able to, to worship God in spirit and just, just sing and just have these wonderful services. Uh, the cathedral is at the very center of the city, so it was the high point. It was the largest building in the city. Today, however, this beautiful Gothic cathedral is primarily a state-run museum. Like most cathedrals in Europe, it's owned by the state. The clergy that's there is paid by the state in order to keep it open, but it basically functions as a museum. There are still services on Sunday. If you go to one of the services, you'll be one of about 200 people that'll be there in 40,000 seats. You'll be one of 200 people that'll be worshiping God. Now, you see, this is a picture in many ways of, of much of Europe. Now, there are many exceptions, and I, I praise God for that, but that's basically it. It's, for most of Europe, we could call the whole society, the whole culture, post-Christian. You know, my thoughts when I saw this was like many others. I thought of these words of Paul talking about the falling away, and I'm wondering if is this is what Paul was referring to. Is this the falling away we're seeing? Now, in order for something to fall away, it must have first been included within uh, the word falling away is translated from the Greek word apostia, apostia, where we get apostasy. Now, it's only used twice in the New Testament, here in 2 Thessalonians and also in the book of Acts, in Acts 21, where Paul was unjustly accused that he was teaching the people to, to fall away from Moses, to do things that were contrary to the law of Moses, to apostia them, to fall away. So we can assume that this falling away is falling away from a religious perspective. 
It's nothing other than religion. It has to do something about religious, a, a long-held religious belief, a long-held uh, belief of the church at large. Now, while this has clearly happened in Europe, um, we're thankful that the church is growing in many other places around the world. We, if, I, if I had time, I'd talk about Asia and in South America and in Africa, where the church, in many ways, is growing faster than it ever has grown before. Now, the Bible indicates that there will be this great falling away just prior to the day of the Lord. Verse 3 again says, Let no one deceive you, unless by any means, that the day will not come until the falling away comes first. Now, that's the New King James. New King James and King James says falling away. The NIV and the ESV call it the rebellion. And the New American Standard uses the word apostasy. And that's what apostasy is. Apostasy is a rebellion. It, it's, it's a revolt. It's, it's, it's turning against a long-held traditional belief. Now, the Day of the Lord is a time of worldwide judgment. For those of you that don't know much about the Day of the Lord, Isaiah 13, 6 says, Wail, for the Day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. I could, have I could have quoted about 25 different verses. I picked one out of Zephaniah that kind of summarizes this time. Zephaniah says, near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly, or suddenly. The word could be translated as suddenly. Listen, the day of the Lord, it is the warrior cries. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities. So, you know, so in many ways, you won't have to wonder if there's a day of the Lord. I mean, it's going to be pretty obvious that there's something that has happened. But Paul told the Thessalonians, don't worry, don't be deceived, you're not in the day of the Lord because first there must be this, this falling away. Paul explains it a little bit further in a letter to Timothy that he wrote about 20 years later. Paul says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them with a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears have to say, have to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn to myths. You know, itchy ears. Itchy ears means that you want somebody to scratch it. You want people, we want a preacher. You want the preacher, the pastor to tell you things that make you feel good. Now, Peter also has something to say about the last days. In 2 Peter, he says this. He says, know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have since the beginning of creation. So Peter's saying at the end times, one of the things we'll also see is that people will say, what is with this coming? Jesus isn't coming back. It's been 2,000 years. But the Bible must be wrong. Now, while this falling away of Western Europe that I mentioned has been somewhat gradual, here in the United States, we're experiencing something that is, could be described as much more sudden. As little as 40 years ago, you remember 40 years ago? Seems like yesterday, doesn't it? 40 years ago, 9 out of 10 Americans said they believed in God and they also belonged to an organized religion, with a great majority of those people calling themselves Christian. In the early 90s, however, we saw that things were changing rapidly. Have you ever heard of a category called the nuns? I'm not talking about Catholic nuns with a headdress, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Barna has found that the fastest growing group of people when it comes to religion are people that have no affiliation. No affiliation at all. Um, a few years ago, 
um, it was a very few, but now it's 20 to 25%. And the younger groups, people that are under 35 years old, size 35%, have no affiliation at all. Many of those people grew up in Christian homes. Many of those people were actually baptized. Now, here in America, we have more and more people, and not just young people, deciding to live together. It's called cohabitation. If you watch Judge Judy, she says it's called playing house, okay? These people play house. They, they, they act like they're a married couple without the benefit of, of getting married. Now, surveys have shown that people that identify themselves as Christians, actually evangelicals, are very committed to their faith, have really no problem with this whole idea of co cohabitation. More and more of the, of the religious people say, ah, it's okay. I, I really don't have any problem with that. Now, the Bible is very clear, not on cohabitation, but the whole idea of sex before marriage. It's reserved strictly for marriage. Just recently, in 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court made same-sex marriages the law of the land. Now, what's interesting is that just prior to the Supreme Court making that decision, 60% of the people surveyed, 60% of all of the people surveyed in the United States were against same-sex marriage. Within four years, it completely reversed. 61% of the people are all for same-sex marriage. And it goes on. Now, in the book of Revelation, Jesus dictates to the Apostle John seven letters to seven churches. Now, these seven churches were in existence at the time of, of the Apostle John. Uh, they're in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And many people understand that not only were they present-day churches, but they're also applicable to churches of, of all time. There's a growing group of people, that myself included, that believe that if you take up these seven letters in their order, we find that, surprisingly, it kind of follows the history of the church over the last 2,000 years. Either way, the last church that's mentioned is the church of Laodicea. It's called a, a lukewarm church, and possibly it represents what we see going on today. Jesus writes to them in Revelation 3, and he says this. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have no need of anything, and do not know that you are actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What a thing for Jesus to say about your church. Jesus continues in verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous, repent. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So take heart. To the church that Jesus had the most critical rebuke of, he said, I stand at the door and knock. All you need to do is to, to open the door and let Jesus come in. You see, salvation and falling away and a relationship with God has a personal as well as a corporate representation. The church corporately could be falling away. The church corporately could be in trouble. But you individually can have a strong faith with God. All you need to do is to open that door. So let's get to part two. Remember Paul said there were two things that were necessary. One was the falling away. But Paul says this. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away. But then he says, and secondly, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
Okay, so if you take a look at these verses, there's a lot of flexibility on what the falling away is, right? It, we could be seeing it in Europe. It could be a general apostasy. It could be something specifically that the church is doing. But we're not quite sure exactly what it is. Probably we'll know it when we see it. However, the man of lawlessness is defined in the Bible. He's also known as the Antichrist. He's described as the beast in the book of Revelation, as the prince that will come in the book of Daniel. If you recall, I've said a number of times that the best way to understand the scriptures, the best way to understand prophecy, is to take things as literal as possible. If it's possible, if it doesn't make any sense literally, then take it allegorically, symbolically. But if it makes sense literally, take it literally. This Antichrist who will come with great fame in the very last days is spoken of often in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. For example, in chapter 7 of Daniel, Daniel says, He shall speak pompous words, speaking of this lawless one, against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. He will intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. There's that time, times, and half a time. It comes to three and a half year. Time being one, times being two, and of course a half a time, a half a year. The three and a half years, by the way, by most scholars, is called referred to as the Great Tribulation. Jesus referred to the Great Tribulation, most likely the second half of a seven-year period. Notice how the text today is also very familiar to what the prophet Daniel said also in chapter 9. Talking of the same man of lawlessness, the man of sin, he says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians because they were a little confused regarding the end times, the day of the Lord. And some were telling them that they were already in this period of the tribulation. You know, we're in a very difficult time today. We're still wearing masks. There's mask mandates. There's vaccine mandates. There's a number of people. Every day you read the newspaper, you watch the TV, and you see a number of people that, you know, are dying because of COVID and different things. And it's easy for somebody to tell you that we're already in the end times. But Paul tells us there's a couple of things that are necessary before we finally get to that place. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, because they were also concerned. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, again, Paul provides a little bit further information on what this event looks like. And we talked about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's always worth repeating. Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of an archangel and the, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged, church. Look up. Your redemption is drawing nigh. Let's pray. So, Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you that we got to start off with... 
You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.